Please turn with me then to our text this morning, which comes from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. We'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Hear with me then the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. So I ask, if you were going to travel somewhere, if you were going to move somewhere and you knew that you would not return to your present home, would you not prepare? We all know people who have moved, don't we? They move for a multitude of reasons. Perhaps some move to be closer to their families. Perhaps some people have moved because their their job has taken them afar. Perhaps others move, like people do out of Wisconsin, to a warmer climate. But regardless the reason why people move, no one just hops in their car and drives off. No, it takes preparation to move. You have to get the, the truck ready. You have to pack all your belongings. You have to have a a place that you're going to go and stay when you arrive. And perhaps there's even more so preparation needed if you're going to go overseas because there's no driving involved there. So you have to figure out, well, how am I getting all my stuff over there? What ship is this going to go in as my family and I fly across the country? And if you fly overseas, you better not forget your passport. That passport is that important document that proves that you are a, a citizen of some particular land. And now what's the point? What's the point of all that? Say, why, why is he bringing that up? What is, what is he saying all this for? Well, my point is that just as preparation is important, even here on earth as we move from one place to the other, it is exponentially far more important in the life of the saints as we move from this present life to the life to come. And so here in chapter 2 and verse 12, 12 in particular, it plays a a pivotal role in our text today because it is really the, the sum of why Paul's done everything that he's described thus far in chapter 2. As Paul says in verse 12, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Remember last week in verse 7, Paul says, we were like affectionate mothers towards you. We cared for you. Even to the detriment of ourselves. In verse 9 we see, Paul says they labored night and day so that they would not be a burden to them. Just like any good parent would do. They wouldn't want to burden their children. In verse 10 we read that they were holy and righteous and blameless examples before the saints. In verse 11 and 12, we read that they were like a a father towards these saints. They came to them in the midst of conflict and persecution. 
in order that they might help their children, that they might exhort them, that they might encourage them and charge them. And it was all for what? What was all this for? Well, in verse 12, what does it say? So that they would walk in a manner worthy of God. Paul's concern was that they would live their lives in a worthy manner. That they would conduct themselves as though, as those who, Paul says at the end of verse 12, are called by God into His own kingdom and glory. You see, there's massive importance placed on how we live now in the present. Paul says, I did all of this so that you would walk worthy. So that you would no longer spend your time in the worthless, pointless, endless, earthly enjoyments that were carried out in a sinful manner in your past life. But now we do all this that you might walk worthy, that you might be preparing yourselves in this life to enter into your homeland. And it is this preparation, this walking worthy before God, which one author, G.K. Beale, in his commentary on 1 Thessalonians says this, this walking worthy, this preparation, is a badge necessary for entrance into the kingdom of God. It is a badge necessary for entrance into the kingdom of God. Let's look at what Peter says about holy living. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 19. This is what Peter tells the saints. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will, be, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, Peter says that as we live upon this earth, we are to conduct ourselves with fear as exiles, See, this land is not our own. We are exiles here. Right? We are looking towards our homeland, which is heaven with Christ. And so what does he say? We are to be now obedient children, not conformed to the passions of our former life. And so just as the passport is proof that you belong to a particular land, holy living, walking in a manner worthy before God, an obedient life is proof that we are Christ. It is proof that we have His Spirit inside of us. It is proof that His blood blood was shed for us. It is proof that we belong where He is. It is proof that He has transformed us. That He has given us a new heart. He has given us a new mind. 
That He has given us new inclinations and new desires. That God has renovated us. So that now we are enabled to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ at the consummation of all things. That's what this life is in many ways, brothers and sisters. This life is preparation for glory. This life is preparation for glory. And how does Scripture portray one who is not prepared? Please turn with me then to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 12. And hear what our Lord says about those who are not prepared to enter glory. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You see, the five who were not prepared were shut out from the kingdom of heaven. They were shut out. And this is Paul's concern today for the saints in our text. He's afraid, he's concerned that while he's away, these unbelieving Jews and Greeks in Thessalonica are working hard to turn them away from Christ. That they would be found to not have been prepared for their Savior's return. That they would be found to have not walked in a manner worthy before God. And so this concerns Paul so much that we read in chapter 3 that he sends Timothy. He sends Timothy out of concern. He wants to know where are they in the faith? Have they fallen away? Have they abandoned Christ? But what is it that we learn? Paul's overjoyed to learn as Timothy comes back and reports to him that these saints have remained faithful to Christ. They continue to walk worthy of God. And so it is this walk today that we want to focus on this morning. This is what we want to pay particular attention to this morning. As this is a walk that is often neglected. This walking worthy before God is often neglected. Because as we heard earlier, as strangers and exiles, which Christians are in this land, It's easy for us to take upon ourselves the customs and behaviors of the land in which we live. It's easy to take that upon ourselves. 
Right? Giving into the sin of this world has caused so many who have once professed the name of Christ to turn their back on Him and to walk away and to deny Him, ultimately proving themselves never to be His to begin with. And so we want to answer really three questions from our text today. Three questions. The first is, what does walking in a manner worthy of God consist of? The second is, what is the purpose of walking worthy before God? And our third is, what should motivate us to walk in a manner worthy before God? And so, what does walking worthy before God consist of? Well, it can really be broken down into, into two things. Mortification of the old man and the quickening of the new. Mortification of the old man and quickening of the new. This is Paul's concern. Right? Because he knows that the willful continuance of the wicked life is proof that you have not been converted, that you are not saved, that you are not Christ. And so this is Paul's concern. If he hears from Timothy, if Timothy comes back and reports and says, these saints have turned back to serve those idols once again, this would have crushed Paul to his very core. For what have we read? Paul was like a, a father to them. Think about how fathers are with their children. Think about how fathers are with their children. They care about them. They love them. And so they instruct them. They guide them. They teach them. Yet what happens when our children do the opposite of what we have taught them? They go against what we have said to their own detriment. It hurts us, doesn't it? It hurts us as fathers. Because you love them and you want what's best for them. And this is no different with the Apostle Paul. He loves these saints as if they are his own children. And he demonstrated this love by coming to them, even in the midst of conflict. And exhorting them and encouraging them because he wants nothing more for them to remain faithful to Christ. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Yet, what we must understand, brothers and sisters, is that no one can mortify the old man unless Christ through faith has empowered us, right? has given us the power and delivered us from sin and from the guilt of our sins. Right? This must precede mortification. Right? Any effort to reform oneself apart from Christ, apart from having this Change of heart. Right? Any attempt to mortify oneself is just mere vanity. It's just mere vanity. No matter how good you think you can become apart from Christ, it is not a walk that is worthy before God. Christ must be our basis. Christ must be our starting point. Christ must be the center for all that we do. We walk worthy because Christ did. Yet Christ did it to perfection. And now He works with inside of us and enables us to be able to walk in like manner. For if Christ had not come, if Christ had not obeyed, if Christ had not perfectly uh, fulfilled all that He was called to do, you and I would not want to obey. You and I could not obey. Right? And that is because of this old man that we have. 
It is because of this sin nature that we were born with, which we inherited from Adam. We inherited this sin nature from our first parents. Yet Christ, that second Adam, has now freed us from these bonds that we might now work to mortify or to slay or to put to death the old man. That we might put to death that sin nature. This is what Paul commands of us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. He says this, Put to death, or to mortify therefore, what is earthly inside of you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So what is Paul here describing? Right? It's mortification. And what is mortification? Well, I take the definition from some lectures on the Heidelberg Catechism from George Bethune. And he says this, Mortification is a sincere sorrow of heart that we have provoked God by our sins and more and more to hate and to flee from them. Right? So what does this mean for the, the verse that we just read from Colossians? Right? Paul is saying that these sins that we once engaged in, this sexual immorality, this impurity, this passion, this evil desire, from sorrow of heart, knowing that in sinning against God we have provoked our God, should cause us more and more to hate these sins and to flee from them. To flee from them. To no longer engage in them. And God has empowered us to do so as He struck and dealt that victorious blow to sin upon the cross. It can no longer rule us. It no longer has that tyrannical rule in our hearts. But we, we all know that we still suffer from sin, don't we? That is because we're in these corrupt bodies. And so, this war is being waged. Yet, the more we grow into Christ, the more that we are conformed to Christ each day, the more we ought to, de- to grow to despise our sin just as Christ despises sin. And yet, do you know what this means, brothers and sisters? that this despising or this hating sin isn't just like a a mental or intellectual assent. It's actively fighting against it. It's an activity. It's an action. It's not just a feeling. We flee temptation. We don't run to it. We abandon all forms of impurity and we cling to that which is pure. How can anyone say that they have been redeemed by Christ? How can anyone say that they have the Spirit of Christ working inside of them? That they understand the evil of sin and yet turn back to that type of life? It can't be done. It can't be done. But instead, the one who has the Spirit of God rather quickens the new man. Quickens the new man. And what do we mean by the quickening of the new man? Well, from the lectures in the Heidelberg Catechism, we read this, that it is the sincere joy of heart in God through Christ and with love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. You see, mortification isn't enough to walk in a manner worthy before God. We must not only be mortifying the deeds of the flesh, but we must be putting on the new man. This is the other part that Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, as we read in verse 5, how he talks about mortification. Here, starting in verse 12, he talks about the putting on. 
As he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. See, not only are we to be putting off, we are to be putting on. And this means, brothers and sisters, that we need to be feeding our minds every day. That's how this putting on starts. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but what? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking what? That you will be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of God. You cannot neglect the mind and think that it will not affect the body. If you want to walk worthy, then you must surround yourself with the very Word of God. That means being at church. Being at church. Sitting under the preached Word where God feeds us and nourishes our very souls. Where He promises us to be here. In a special manner. Unlike He is during the other six days of the week. He meets us here in a special way. It means reading at home. Family worship. Constantly being under the Word of God. Constantly being around believers. Exhorting one another. Using the Word of God. Encouraging one another. Using the Word of God. As we grow more and more then in spiritual knowledge and understanding and wisdom, as we grow more in understanding the very will of God, our capacity then to walk in a manner worthy of God grows. The greater knowledge, the greater understanding you have of His will, the greater your capacity to walk in a manner worthy of God becomes. But what is the purpose of walking in a manner worthy of God? What does it matter? Why should we walk in a manner worthy of God? Well, here is point two. Listen to what the Apostle says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Paul said that he and the other saints were holy and righteous and blameless before the Thessalonians in verse 12, and verse 10, excuse me, And he lived in this manner and he exhorted them to the same manner of life so that they might please God. That they might please the God who has rescued them from sin and misery and death. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Our purpose as saints chosen in Christ is to please our God. It is to please our God. Yet, brothers and sisters, this is the very antithesis of what the world does, isn't it? The very opposite. The world seeks to please themselves. The world seeks to please their peers. But this is not so with the, with the, with the Christian, is it? As we looked at just a few weeks ago, Paul said in chapter 2, verse 4, that they came and that as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the Gospel, so we speak to you, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. I say this to everyone here. 
but most especially to the children. As children are the young and impressionable, your peers will try to get you to do wrong. They will try to get you to follow after sin. When you go off, perhaps to some form of higher education, you go off to university, your teachers are going to teach you things that you know to be untrue. And the, the pressure and the temptation to fit in is going to be strong. But you must understand this. You must be cognizant of it. You must be ready for it. And understand the, the consequences of following after a pattern of wanting to please men. It brings destruction, calamity, heartache, misery, pain, and separation from Christ. Death. Not physical death, but spiritual death. Eternally being apart from Christ forever and ever. And think about it. As these people are pressuring you, as they want to control your minds, as they want to control your actions and what you do with your body, think to yourselves, what has these people ever done for me? What have they ever done for me? Was it they who suffered on my behalf? Is it they who bore the wrath upon the cross for my behalf? Is it they who were mocked at and spat at on my behalf? Is it they who hung on the cross for me? No. That was Christ. Christ did that. So that if you believe in Him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. Think about that the next time someone wants you to follow after they're wicked steps. They don't love you. They don't care about you. They just want a companion in their sin. It feels better when you're not sitting by yourself. You want to bring other people along. But that's not love and that's not care. And love isn't a feeling. Love isn't a feeling. Love's an action. Love's an action. And what was the very apex of that love? The very climax, the very pinnacle of that love Father sending His Son to die upon the cross for the sins of each and every one of you who believe in Him today. And so in response to that love, we ought to turn around and to give that love back to our God. That ought to be our concern. To offer ourselves up to God as living sacrifices as this is what pleases God. This is what pleases God. And so are you a man pleaser or are you a pleaser of God? If you are a pleaser of God, next time when temptation, right? next time when, when trial comes your way, when someone wants you to get you, try to get you to do something that you ought not to do, that you know is wrong and sinful, say no. Say no. If that means that you mock and ridicule me, that's fine. If it means that you exclude me and you don't want to be my friend anymore, that's fine. For I live to please God. For it is God who has loved me. It is God who has given His Son for me. It is God who has called me out of this wretched, sinful, evil age into His glorious kingdom. And it is that calling of us by God into that kingdom that Paul uses as motivation for us to walk in a manner worthy of God. Here is point three. What should motivate us to walk in a manner worthy of God is the fact that Paul says at the end of verse 12, 
that we have been called by God into His own kingdom and glory. We whose souls have been awakened by God, who have now restored favor with God, who have been reconciled by the very blood of God, are to, knowing this now, ask ourselves, how ought we to respond? Shouldn't we? Shouldn't that be our response? Knowing all that God has done for us, how should we respond? Isn't this what we teach our children? Isn't this what we were taught as children? If someone uh, gives you something, provides you with some benefit that you did not earn yourself, you are to demonstrate thankfulness for this? Right? And the Father sending His Son to die for us. That gift is incomparable to any earthly gift that we could receive, isn't it? Yet so often, so many who would call themselves Christians presume upon the grace of God. And each and every one of us here at certain times in our life have likewise presumed upon the grace of God. We have taken God's grace for granted. And you know why that is? Because so often we think so little of the gift. We think so little of the gift. Like God owed us salvation. Yet He owed us nothing. He owed us nothing. And yet while we were, while we were still sinners, while we were here still God-haters, He sent Son and transferred us into His own kingdom and glory. Should there be any greater motivation for you and I to walk in a manner worthy of God than that? Does anything else need more to be said or done that you would dedicate your entire life, your whole being to walking in a manner worthy of God? I would hope not. This is the message that Paul conveys to the hearer. Walk worthy before God, for this is your thank offering to Him. Walk worthy before God, for this is your thank offering that you render in return to Him. And you know what this means, brothers and sisters? It means obeying the law. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and my commandments are not burdensome to you. This is the absurdity of anyone who says that we are no longer to obey God's moral law as our rule of life. That we are no longer to follow these Ten Commandments summed up in love God and love neighbor. For guess what? If you do not obey God's law, you cannot fulfill what He has called you to do. You cannot give Him this thank offering. You cannot please God. You know why? Because we don't get to decide what that thank offering will be. We don't get to choose God. This is how I'll thank you. No, God tells us what the thank offering will be. And He says, it's obedience to My Word. It's obedience to My commands. And so this kingdom now, that Paul speaks of, that we have been chosen and called into, is a kingdom that you and I experience now. It is a kingdom we experience now. We experience it as it was inaugurated in the first advent of Christ. When Christ came, He inaugurated this kingdom. And we experience its benefits right now. We experience it through salvation. We experience it through the coming of the Holy Spirit. We experience it with every heavenly blessing we receive here and now. Yet, brothers and sisters, this isn't all that there is. As God is beckoning us. 
He's summoning us to come. To come to His kingdom. To come to His kingdom. Right? This, you and I have been made partakers of. Yet you know what else also should motivate us? To walk in a manner worthy of God? It is the glory of God. The glory of God ought to motivate us to walk in a manner worthy of God. It is Jesus who said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You should desire to walk holy, blameless, and righteous lives doing good works. When I say good works, I mean works done in faith in Christ so that God would be glorified. This should be our aim. This should be our goal to put to death sin, to put on the new man that others might see it and glorify God who is in heaven. You see, you cannot call yourself a Christian. You cannot call yourself a Christian if you are indifferent to the glory of God. As Christians, we ought to have great zeal and vigor for our God's honor. Yet, know that no one can do this apart from the calling of God. This is what Paul says. Paul says, we walk worthy of God who calls us into His own kingdom and glory. And yet, here's another reason then to glorify God. Because the God who calls is the God who enables. This is what Paul says in chapter 5 here. Verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul says it is all God's work. God calls. God sanctifies. God works within us to do His will. He will preserve us until the very end and you can bank on it. And you know why you can bank on it? Because He is faithful, Paul says. He is faithful. He will complete what He has started. His will will be accomplished. You cannot thwart the will of God. And His will is eternal and unchangeable. What thankfulness and infinite gratitude this ought to stir within each and every one of us. How this should motivate us to walk in a manner worthy before God. Look at everything that He has done for you and I. Yet, even this walk, even this walk before God, this thank offering that we give to God, earns us nothing. It earns us nothing. It merits nothing. It adds nothing to the work of Christ. For when Christ returns, we shall be judged according to His obedience and not our own. For our obedience is imperfect. Christ's obedience was perfect. And it is His perfect and perpetual obedience that will be reckoned to us. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. For apart from the imputation of the righteousness of Christ to us, we are as good as dead. We are as good as dead. Yet now, we are destined for glory. And so we ought to be preparing ourselves for that. We ought to be looking fixated ahead for heaven where glory awaits, where Christ awaits, where we will see Him face to face. What a wonderful and beautiful thought that is. Now as we draw to a close then, I hope that we have come to 
better understand what it is to walk in a manner worthy of God. Right? What the purpose is of walking in a manner worthy before God. Right? What ought to motivate us to walk in a manner worthy before God. Is this really can just sum up the Christian life. Right? This is what Paul's talking the Christian life. This is why Paul is willing to risk life and limb for these saints. Right? He wants them to be preparing for heaven, to be readying themselves for the Lord's return, right? to give evidence to the true saving nature of their faith, to be rendering to God while here on earth all that is due to Him, right? so that they would not walk in vain, but rather that they would have assurance of their calling and of their heavenly inheritance. And so, brothers and sisters, I exhort each and every one of us today, and I encourage each and every one of us today to likewise heed the Apostles' words and let us likewise walk in a manner worthy of our God. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess that we do not walk in a manner worthy before You. Yet we thank You that Christ did. That Christ did as He was sent from heaven to suffer and to die upon the cross for our sins. And now He reigns in heaven. And now we who are united to Christ are blessed with every spiritual blessing under heaven. You have enabled us now to walk in a manner worthy of God. For Christ works inside of each and every one of us to exercise ourselves in all of those spiritual exercises You have called us to. And so, Father, we pray that You would continue to strengthen and enable us to walk more and more in a manner worthy before You. That we would more and more mortify and put to death the deeds of our flesh and more and more that we would desire to be like Christ, to be conformed to His image and to put on all that You have called us to that we might walk in a manner worthy of God. And so, Father, we come before You this day to praise Your holy name and we do so in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Please.